Hello, listeners. I'm Annie. And I'm Q. And we're welcoming you to our inaugural episode of Grad Gamut, a podcast that delves into the lesser-known dimensions of graduate student life. We will be bringing masters and PhD students from all different backgrounds to share what it is really like to commit to several years of graduate education to pursue a dream. We will celebrate the highs, share the challenges, and come together as a community. Most importantly, we will amplify real graduate students' stories to inform advocacy and policymaking. My visa expired in March, and I went back to my home country, uh, China, to renew my visa. Soon after which, the COVID-19 pandemic outbroke in the United States. And then my back flight was canceled, and all visa services were suspended. That was Binbin Peng. Binbin, a doctoral student at the University of Maryland in College Park, was slated to graduate this December. But in March, everything changed. Binbin is now stuck in China and unable to return to the United States for her final semester. Binbin is not alone. Several students are thought to be stuck outside the United States who would otherwise be welcomed back this fall given their student visa status. To say that international students are vulnerable and live in a constant state of uncertainty is an understatement and rings true, sadly, now more than ever. The current public health crisis surrounding COVID-19 has catalyzed increased travel restrictions that are impacting international students who went home over winter break to visit their families or to renew their visas. There have been several proclamations since January 31st, 2020, beginning with restrictions on travel from China, is closed to most foreigners who've traveled recently to China. Followed in February with restrictions from Iran, then in March with restrictions through 28 countries in Europe. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. And in May, Brazil became the most recent country added to the growing list. In addition to the restrictions on travel based upon initially public health concerns, there have been proclamations and attempted policies that specifically impact current and potential international students being made on the basis that international students pose a, quote, risk to the U.S. labor market. These proclamations assert that in light of the millions of U.S. citizens applying for unemployment, this action is necessary to protect and preserve jobs for Americans. First. The pandemic hit us early this year. A lot of the universities closed down. This is Surya Agarwal, um, an advocate for international students. I'm originally from India. I came to the U.S. six years ago. 
I came here to pursue my PhD and I'm just about finished. And Surya that. is helping us to understand what does this moment mean for international students in the US. A lot of the universities told their students to leave their dormitories sort of very quickly. Mm-hmm. A lot of students didn't have places to go to, especially if they were international students finding flights back home was a problem. A lot of their travel to some countries had closed their air travel as well. They had visas and so on and so forth. It's really hard to just sort of leave everything in the middle and just leave. So once people were overseas, a lot of consulates, people who were trying to come back to the United States had an issue because a lot of consulates were closed. So they couldn't really get appointments for visas. So they weren't allowed back into the country because they couldn't really get a visa. I've heard of stories of different students who sort of stuck overseas since the pandemic began and the consulates got closed and they haven't been allowed to be back yet. Speaking of individual stories, oh, here's well, more of what Bimbin Ping had to share with us about and what is going on for her this summer. Back flight was canceled and all visa services were suspended. I was very very worried at that time that I might not be able to come back. and i am still worried right now not only due to the suspended visa services but also the uh travel ban i've been tracking the visas uh, the embassy services website and i have been keeping an eye on um the presidential proclamation website and etc to make myself in the loop about how and when i can go back to my normal study so obviously the travel ban is abandoning like it's stopping every chinese to enter into the united states i am definitely not one of the exceptional cases so basically i am in stock that means i have to postpone the uh, graduation schedule because i uh, plan to graduate in the summer i have some trouble connecting to connecting with my advisor and my committee members because their morning times are my night times and sometimes um the network is the internet network is not very stable so all of those things are affecting me to graduate on time the crisis is also a financial one binbin and her family will now have to find a way to pay more than they ever expected to finish her degree without access to the funding support she usually has with a teaching assistantship the added unexpected cost may be well over $25,000 i don't have any stipend in the summer uh because i am working i i i um i was working remotely since march and there is no way to issue a assistantship or hourly paid position to me over the summer um likewise um i will have no funding uh in the fall semester even though my program chair uh told me um they they may they may well be able to uh offer me a uh, assistantship 
Only if I am certain that I can be back to the United States in the fall. But this is something that I cannot say. I am sure I can be back、uh, before the start of the fall semester. All they can do is wait and hope. My families are very, very worried about my student identity, my、um, graduation, and my research work progress. They are also feeling very helpless because this is a global issue, and we are all in these difficult times that we cannot control too much. We can do almost nothing right now,、uh, except wait until the travel ban got lifted, until the visa services uh, are reop- uh, reopened. I have been thinking many ways, and I have been working to connect my peers and. Students like me, international students like me, to figure out a way to come back to the United States. There was an option to go to the third country to stay for fourteen days before entering into the United States, and I almost I um once almost there, but、uh, it doesn't it didn't work out either due to the、uh, special requirements from that third country, because of the pandemic. So many neighbor countries are suspending entr- entering into the into their countries as well. And if you want to, for example, we think about go to Thailand or Japan or Korea. To stay for fourteen days, but those countries are shut down their door to us. We cannot go there, and on the other side, if you want to go to Japan or Canada for fourteen days before entering to the United States, you also have to have the visa、um, to that country. Right now, in the,、uh, under the pandemic,、uh, the visa services are very slow and prohibited as well. In sum, I have、um, I've been trying to figure out、um, many many way to to go back to the United States, but I failed. Right now, I am in a very embarrassing position and hard position. Students are trying many creative ways to return, including plans that incur additional travel, quarantining, and higher costs. I believe I am not the only one who experiences this. All this, all those things. There are many, many international students, especially new incoming new international students, are in a very hard and difficult position. We hope this out of this can end、uh, soon.
Binbin and her family followed the rules, but the rules keep changing. In 2016, Binbin made the choice and substantial investment to obtain a doctoral degree at a US-based Research One university. The international student visa process is rigorous and selective, and the students are welcomed for their talents and what they bring to the university community and culture. When visa policies constantly change with restrictions being added frequently and in the middle of the degree process, it is damaging to one's mental health, to say the least. The arrangement becomes a broken promise and the international student is left perpetually scrambling to find ways to complete their degree. Going back to Syria. One of the big things, again, is just the importance of international students, right? And I think U.S. had been fighting for this global talent for a long time. And over the past few years, we've seen a significant decline in the new enrollments of international students mm -hmm. that are happening in the U.S. And at the same time, we've seen an increase in the international student populations of other countries, such as the U.K., Canada, so on and so forth. We're losing international students progressively, and the decisions that we take now aren't aren't just going to affect us right now, but they're also going to affect us significantly into the future, five years from now, 10 years from now, is when the impact of all of these decisions will be seen. Some of the companies have announced that they actually will move offices to different countries if these regulations stay in place. I'm from Pittsburgh right now. So Duolingo announced this. It's a billion-dollar uh, company. It announced that it might consider moving offices if, if these regulations continue to be in hold. U.S. is not just losing the global talent, but it's also losing businesses. It's also losing, it also, it's also having an impact on economy. The facts speak for themselves, right? There have been numerous studies which have basically said that international students add about $45 billion to the U.S. economy. There's a lot of impact that international students have just on the U.S. economy, the number of jobs that are created, how it affects the domestic students. You know, the universities can't really function without international students because that's a significant chunk of their student population. So if you imagine international graduate students who were TAing classes for undergraduates, if those international students can't come in, who, who would actually fill those gaps? Who would teach those undergraduate students? How would industries recruit the best talent to actually do more innovation, to do more research, to actually get out those products and start new companies? The whole research and innovation enterprises affected. A lot of people, some politicians included, from both sides of the aisle have actually realized that targeting international students is a lose-lose, right? There's no winning in this. You're affect the international students are being affected. You're projecting an idea that U.S. is not welcome for business, right? You shouldn't come here. And it's affecting the economy as well. So all of this in context, I think, has led to the realization that it is important to focus on this, on this issue and, and to somehow come to a resolution. The National Association of Foreign Student Advisors, NAFSA, reported that international students contributed $39 billion to the United States economy and supported over 455,000 jobs during 2017 to 2018 alone. Immigrants are known to have positively contributed to the nation's entrepreneurial development as well. In fact, as of 2010, immigrants or children of immigrants founded 40% of Fortune 500 companies, including South African-born Elon Musk, Russian-born Sergey Brin, and French-born Iranian Pierre Omidyar. 
Contrary to the belief that international students financially burden institutions, the Institute of International Education, IIE, found that two of three international students use family money to fund their education. However, the surge of in-highly qualified students coming to the United States has waned. New international student enrollment dropped by 3.3% in 2016 to 2017, and further dropped by 6.6% in the 2017-2018 academic year. These drops actually translate into a direct loss of income that the United States would otherwise be getting. Immigrants have started more than half of America's startup companies valued at $1 billion or more and totaling to more than $100 billion, with 20,000 plus employees. Immigrants are integral to the product development in more than 70% of these companies. International students are invaluable to innovation in the U.S. For every 100 international students who receive a STEM PhD from a U.S. university, the nation gains 63 patent applications. My name is Julianne. I am originally from Indonesia. I decided that I want to pursue my education in the U.S. and that I want to pursue pharmacy school. It's a, it's a doctorate degree, which is different with what we have in Indonesia. It's a bachelor degree still over there. We so wanted to speak to some former international students who are now working and living in the U.S. after successfully getting their green cards. Annie spoke with Julian Mayet and Eugene Han. My name is Eugene. My story is a little bit complicated. When I was in middle school, my parents decided it would be a good idea for me to study English. And my aunt at the time was living in New York. I was to go to New York and kind of stay with them for a couple of years, just learn English and, you know, pursue education. And I never meant to kind of stay in U.S., but after maybe two years, my family decided to move to Arizona. I ended up, my entire family just ended up immigrating to Both attended the University of Arizona for pharmacy school from 2008 to 2012. I am currently a hospital pharmacist. So I work at a hospital providing basically medications to patients who are inside the hospital. I'm a pharmacy clinical coordinator, also a pharmacist, currently working at a hospital, help with management of the department, policy procedures, guidelines, and also we recently started a pharmacy residency program at the hospital, managing that They as now well. find themselves working on the front lines in hospitals during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's actually why I want to be in healthcare. In my opinion, it's sort of our calling in a way. So, I mean, I didn't think it's going to be this kind of pandemic, but you're there to save lives. We do a lot on, to you know, support nurses and doctors and mm-hmm. you know, everyone else working and working really hard to save patients and take care of patients. In a sense, I hope people understand that it's not just doctors and nurses working at the hospital. There are many other people working too help the patients, like pharmacists, respiratory therapists, and, you know, even people who are helping us, like, cleaning after patients' yeah. rooms. It's everybody. So, yep. those, everybody is kind of frontline worker at this point. Uh, 
we have patients everywhere. Like literally next patients are getting chemo and next to like pregnant patients, next to cystic fibrosis patients. It's a mess over here. Every every day they're opening up a new unit for COVID unit because just like there we're we're opening up extra units and trying to like accommodate more and more people. But it's like at a point where it's like easier to count which floors are non-COVID floor versus which floors are, which floor has COVID patients because they are just everywhere at this point. Eugene and Julian's current success and stability came after multiple years of patience and large investments from their families. They fondly remember the support they received from the University of Arizona. It was very nice. I mean, it's a, a diverse class and I, I enjoy my experience overall in the University of Arizona. I live in a graduate housing over there in the University of Arizona, so I also got to meet many other international students from the graduate schools, learn a lot about cultures from different countries. It's one of the highlight of my experience when I was in school there, I would say. University of Arizona, the school support was really great for our class. We had a professor there who was really advocating a lot for the international students to like in between different pharmacy schools internationally. He was a great resource and help for us. And also the international students office at U of A, they've been very helpful. Though both attribute much of their success in graduate school to this support, they encountered many challenges. International students are not eligible for FAFSA. International students have to pay out-of-state tuition. And on top of all of this, they have great difficulty in getting relevant work experiences and have to deal with ever-changing travel restrictions. These hoops that Eugene talks about, they didn't begin with graduate school. My story is a little bit different. <laughs> I actually consider myself extremely lucky to be able to be where I am right now. As you know, I've been living in U.S. since I was in middle school, and I had so many status changes just to stay in U.S. legally, different visas changing all the time. In my opinion, it was almost living in a constant possibility of deportation at any given moment, because in high school, if I didn't get obtain a student status as an F1 student, I would have been deported. As an undergraduate, if I hadn't got into a graduate school, I would have been deported. And as a graduate student, if I didn't get a job or go into residency, then that's another deportation. So every couple of years, it kind of always comes up and it was almost like a running joke. I was telling people I might get deported, so haha, you know. Um, but actual process of obtaining green card, that one's also difficult. I would say probably it's just Getting a job itself as a student, an international student, is very difficult. Um, Not only was there a constant concern of deportation for Eugene, getting work experience as an international student was also met with several barriers. Employers are less confident in hiring international students because the process is more cumbersome, and the international student is often viewed by many as an added liability. I'm sure a lot of people who have uh, been in F1 status can relate, but you go to a job interview and everything's, you know, looking like it's going great. And as soon as you mention the word visa, you get this look on their face. Like, I would say half the time they have no idea what you're talking about. And the other half is like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. 
So getting a job itself is very difficult. I consider myself very lucky to be able to find a job that will um, sponsor me a visa. And even when I got that job, I wasn't very certain that they will sponsor me a green card. But it eventually happened um, miraculously. The process of which I haven't been too involved with, I think by the time when we started the green card process, because it's not guaranteed thing, even if you apply for it, I wasn't having too much of a hope. So it's good to stay positive, but at the same time, also kind of on a dark cloud in your back of your head, like I might have to pack everything up and, you know, leave because my entire family, they live in US right now. So even if I go back to Korea, I mean, I still have my aunts and uncles living there, but they're kind of extended family. I haven't living with them for 10 plus years. Don't really know anyone there as far as like friends or being able to get a job. I wouldn't know what to do with my license because I have to figure out how to get it licensed in Korea. So things like that, it's a little bit of a headache, but yeah, I'm very glad it happened. I just got my green card last year. So thank goodness. We asked them how they feel about current events and about what they think it would be like to be an international student in 2020. It's kind of concerning. really feel for the students who are kind of already here and studying and they're just so close to being done and all these things are happening. And it's just kind of sad to think about, you know, the recent changes with the whole international students may have to go back to their own country if, if they only have to take online classes. The H1 visa that I used to be on, or H2 visa, I guess, now they're not, no longer accepting it. So it's, I'm sure it's causing a lot of problems, not just for the individuals who are applying for that visa, but for the employers as well, because now they're in a situation they've you know, searched hard to find a right candidate and they decide to have this person come work for their company. Now they may not be able to, and now they end up having to find another person to replace that person. There's no like a black and white answer to things. I feel like it was like a simple thing to kind of put in place, but causes a lot of complications for a lot of other people. Although we always knew the process for obtaining visas as a student was hard, we are nevertheless stunned to listen to international students' stories that convey the consequences of living in limbo for years at a time. It reminds us of why many view the U.S. immigration system in dire need for reform. Diversity is less celebrated. We learn so much from diversity, and that was the thing that I loved the most from my experience when I was a student at the U of A, is learning from many different cultures. And right now, there there's almost probably fear, like people have to hide that almost, uh, that they're different or something like that, you know, and... Um, I mean, we, we have students rotating through our hospitals, and that's great. And I always want to know, you know, where they're from, that sort of stuff. I think just generally, the situation right now, it's more toward where diversity is probably feel like it's less celebrated than uh, it used to be. Yeah, I feel like people are like less welcoming of mm-hmm. people from different backgrounds. And I think there's almost like a fear involved in it, too. Probably what's like not helping the situation. But I feel like the only way to overcome it is to be more exposed and not just shutting yourself down.
one way United States bipartisan governmental support is evidenced is through the robust Education USA network. Education USA is a part of the U.S. Department of State. It's a network of over 430 advising centers worldwide. They can be found in over 175 countries and territories. The purpose of the network is to encourage and recruit international students to come and invest in the United States for post-secondary education. Recently, Head of Education USA and Deputy Assistant Secretary for Academic Programs with the U.S. Department of State, Caroline Casagrande, stated, As we all work to emerge from the current crisis, we are confident that an American education will continue to be valued by students and their families around the world. We are committed to maintaining and growing the United States as the top study destination for international students, so we may continue to build the relationships that will ensure our national security and economic prosperity into the future. On July 6, 2020, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, announced that international students would lose their visa and the ability to stay in the United States if their fall courses were only online. This was problematic because it came at the same time many institutions, in an effort to ensure safety and well-being, were choosing to make their academics online in the fall due to the continued threat of COVID. I read this morning that MIT and Harvard had filed a lawsuit challenging and, and asking for a temporary restraint on this order that had been passed. So that's really encouraging. I've also read that there have been the Attorney General of Massachusetts has also announced that they'll be filing a lawsuit. I think Cornell has also announced something along similar lines. It's encouraging to see that there's action already that's taking place in these arena. Within days, several schools sued over the policy change and when the first court commenced on July 14th, the rule was rescinded. This evoked a temporary sigh of relief. But the overall climate for international students is one that requires hypervigilance. There's so much universities can do. Yeah, I think I want to touch that in, in two aspects, right? One of them is to reach out to those international students and tell them what they are going to be doing, to be frank with them, to be reassuring, to tell the international students that, hey, we asked you to be here to get this education, to do this research. We're going to support you all through, right? We, we are here for you. So we, we basically require unequivocal messages of support to international students from the university. The second is that they're all they're part of all of these conglomerates, right? They're part of the American Association of Universities, they're part of APLU, Association of Public Line Grant Universities, and numerous others. And these universities getting together has a huge amount of impact. It wasn't too long ago that a number of university presidents were invited to the White House to discuss the opening of universities should the pandemic proceed as usual. What I'm saying is that they've been invited to the table and what they should do is support those international students when they go to those meetings and tell them and stand up for them and tell the administration that this is not okay. This is how it's gonna affect us, us being the universities, not the international students. Because Everyone can help, including at the individual level. Students, domestic students included, should take this opportunity to call the members of Congress and tell them why this is a bad idea and how it affects them, not just the international students, but how it affects domestic students as well. Part of the reason why domestic students should do that is because 
international students here can't work, right? So there's no reason why one would actually listen to us, but it is the domestic students who cast those votes. So it's important to actually tell the representatives, tell their senators as to why this is important and why they should support international students. What I'm asking for is solidarity from universities and domestic students alike to help get this point across that international students are an important asset to this country, to the world in general. As Surya says, international students need support now more than ever during this time of fluctuation. If you are not an international student, you can still help. Keep up to date on the issues. Think about contacting your local representatives and telling them how you feel and that you support international students. If you're a university administrator, there are many ways that you can continue to support. We continue to applaud the efforts that were taken after the ICE policy was proclaimed that led to its rescission just over a week later. Keep up those efforts, but also think about ways to create physical or virtual spaces for international students to feel like they have a place that is safe, a place that is home, and if possible, have an immigration lawyer like some universities, Carnegie Mellon and University of Maryland are a couple that were on this podcast today, that are examples of places where international students can go for consultation free of charge to figure out how to navigate these difficult times. I guess just to like the the students who are currently, you know, going through a lot of turmoils right now, just because you know, Julian and I have been there and kind of know what it feels like to not know what is going to happen in your future and just being unsure of everything that you've worked so hard to, you know, be where you're at currently and not knowing if that will just all be taken away. Just want to say, you know, don't give up and, you know, keep trying. You know, you never know what the future is going to hold. And this might just be a temporary thing as well. And another thing I want to like to mention is that even if things don't work out, um, because that is always a possibility, just don't think that as a end of the world situation. Um, working in a healthcare kind of gives me a different perspective in a way, because I see a lot of patients, you know, who are unable to move, you know, they're paralyzed or their health is so bad, they can't really do anything. You know, at least for most people, I wouldn't say everybody, but you know, those who are healthy and able, and you know, you'll always have something that you can do, even if it's not the one that you're pursuing currently. So don't give up hope and just keep on trucking. since July when we first sat down and, and spoke with Surya and Bin Bin and Jean and Julian. Quite a bit. Some was positive. The ice rule that was mentioned by Surya was quickly rescinded in just about a week. And, and that was great news. It was 
we believe, in part due to incredible advocacy and the upswell from higher education institutions around the nation who came came to support the international student population against those those restrictions that that had to do with COVID-19 and preventing students from returning or being enrolled should decisions be made for public health to make all classes online. So that was some good news. Then later in the fall, as we're seeing actually it's unfolding right now during the months of September and October, a new rule from the Department of Homeland Security that we invite all listeners to, to look up and to become more knowledgeable about. This rule is called the D-slash-S rule, and it would greatly impact students from certain countries, which are now on an overstay country list that's on the proposed rule. And it would also impact students across, across the board who are currently on F and J visas. So if you don't know much about this rule yet, please do look it up. You can find it on the Federal Register itself, or you can look at NAFSA. The NAFSA website has a lot of great information, too. We just wanted to provide this update to listeners and have it be an example of just how vigilant we all need to be on really important policy topics that are impacting graduate students, especially our international student peers. So thank you, everyone. We hope you continue to stay tuned to Grad Gamut and uh, enjoy all of our future episodes. If you have any ideas for episodes or topics that you would like us to cover, please do visit our website, our social media. And, and drop us that idea. We would really love to hear them. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of Grad Gamut. We hope you enjoyed. A big thank you to Surya Agarwal, Bin Bin Peng, Julian Mayet, and Eugene Ha for coming on the podcast and share their knowledge and stories. We also want to thank Hossein Hieri, our sound designer, and Chase Williams, our audio master. We want to give a shout out to Mary Gardner for her mentorship and the support from the Virginia Audio Collective at the University of Virginia. We also want to thank Willie Smith, for designing our logo for the podcast. Please learn more about Grad Gamut at our website and social media outlets, and let us know what you think. Check out our next episode via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud.